Well, my name's Tyler Hardy. I am class of 05 A. Whoop! Come on, we got a couple of 05ers. I think Chris may be the only one, a couple of you. Um, <clears throat> but, um, you know, when I was in college, it was either freshman or sophomore year, I remember going to um, a, a, a missions conference. And so uh, I remember going to this missions conference here in town, and they had all these booths set up, you know. And so I remember walking around, and I was really excited because in, in high school, I'd gone on like a youth mission trip, but I didn't really have much of a grid for what missions was. And so I went, and I was going to go into construction science at A&M, and so I was thinking builder, right? And so I showed up to this one booth, and I forgot what the missions organization was. And, 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 but, but, but on their booth, it said, join us in starting new churches, or, I think, or maybe in, in building new churches. And so I walk up, and I said, man, this is great. I said, I'm in construction science, and I would love to come help build churches with you guys. And this older man's looking at me, and he's like, well, sure. And I said, I mean, so do you guys, you know, do you do wood framing? Or how do you all doing it? We talking huts here. What's the deal? And I'm all excited, you know. And this older guy is so gracious. He's like, well, um, you know, building, church, like starting churches isn't necessarily what you think. Like we're not, and so this, this took the mission, I think, was in somewhere in West Africa. And, and they said, we weren't, we weren't really like, we're not building the buildings. It's more about building the people. And I was like, what? And, and, and I literally did not know, okay? And so this is back in 2001, and, 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 I, and he's like, tries to explain to me the fact that like church planting and building churches wasn't building the buildings, it was actually sharing the gospel and praying for people and making disciples, and that's what building the church was. And then later on, if you need a building, you get a building. And that was just like a paradigm shift. I don't know why. I had read the Bible most of my life, but that never really sunk in, right? And I, I say that because when I was in college, there's lots of things like that that I remembered thinking, oh, I know what this is, until someone highlights to me, actually, that's not what that is, right? You may have some of those experiences, right? It happens not just in college, it happens in parenting. But I share that because in many ways, we, uh, many of us have maybe read the Bible in part or all the Bible. Many of us have maybe been part of a church or been part of some sort of worship service before. We may have heard the name of God or heard the name of Jesus or even kind of done some extensive studies, but I would argue that for many of us, we may actually have a misrepresentation of who God really is. That we may think we know until we go to the Word, until we go to someone that actually knows, and they're like, no, no, you don't know, right? So that's what we're talking about this morning because this series we're kicking off is called Radiant, right? Because we want to talk about the radiance of God. We're talking about the Godhead, the Trinity, right? And so that's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And I would argue that within the church today or in Christianity today or in America today, this is a very confusing subject for people, right? Like, who do I pray to? Do I pray to the Holy Spirit, Jesus, or God, or all three? What if I leave one out, right? Like, who is who, and what is what, and why is why? I mean, we are confused a little bit. So for the next three weeks, we're going to be unpacking the glory of God. Because we want the light of God to shine upon us and for us to reflect his glory, amen? We're actually called to be ambassadors of him, to be those that would be witnesses to others, to shine bright. And so today, we're going to be talking about God the Father. Because when we understand the nature of God fully, then we have the opportunity to see and experience him for all that he really is, right? We want the full nature of God, maybe not just our own perspective. And so for many people, as we talk about God the Father, you know, many people think about Father, they think about authorities, 
right? Like if you think about the authorities in your life, the, the earthly authorities, be it a father, a, a coach, a professor, a government leader, a lot of times we look at them and say, that must be exactly what God is like, right? Like that coach, right? Or like that dad of mine, or like that leader. We presume that God is an exact representation of the leaders in our lives because he's God the leader, right? But what we forget is that we actually need to know who God is and that we are trying to catch up to his nature. It's not the other way around, right? Like fathers are trying to reflect who God really is, but we are weak in doing that, (laughs) although we try hard. And so we want to look at the nature of God because our beliefs Everything about us, we have to get this right. If not, then we see everything in life and all of our circumstances skewed and through a skewed lens. And when you hear words like authority, it makes you get uptight, right? Makes you want to rebel. When you hear words like father, you're either really delighted or you're really upset because of your own experience. But what God wants to do in the next three weeks is hopefully redeem, redeem who he is to you, to redeem him, to actually reveal himself to you Fully, all right? So in order to help us do that, to help us understand fully the nature of God, we're going to jump into the book of Exodus, all right? It's the second book of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, right? So it's easy to find. Flip to the front and kind of flip a few chapters later, about 50, and you should be in Exodus, right? So Exodus, the second book of the Bible. Now, just as you're flipping there, we'll have it on the screen as well, but this comes after, um, uh, you know, uh, this, this is really the story of the Jewish people who were in captivity and God delivering them and taking them on their journey to the promised land. Now, what we have to remember is that they were slaves, enslaved for 430 years underneath the Egyptians, okay? So there they were, enslaved. They were beaten up. They were worked, they were worked to death many a times. So this is what they had for 430 years. This isn't like a five-year span. This is generation after generation living and dying in slavery. Grandparents telling the stories of living and dying underneath the oppression. This is where the people of God were, these beloved people. But here they were stuck. And so the story of Exodus tells us about how God raises up a man named Moses to be the one to lead their people out. So we're going to pick up the story in Exodus 19. And so here we go. The Israelites have been, they have been released from slavery under the Egyptians, mainly because of the ten plagues that God brought upon Pharaoh and the Egyptians. And Moses led them through the Red Sea miraculously. They crossed the Red Sea on dry ground. And we're going to go to Exodus chapter 19, verses 4 and 6, because the Lord led, led them, and Moses led them to the base of Mount Sinai. So then God calls Moses up to the mountain and speaks to him. So all the people at the bottom, so imagine about two million plus people hanging out at the bottom of a mountain, and God speaks and calls Moses up the mountain so he can speak to them privately. He says this, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you, Moses, shall speak to the people of Israel. So here we go. God brought them out of slavery so that what? So that he could dwell with his people. God brought them out of slavery so that he could be with his people. 
But he says what? There's actually a catch here, right? This is Exodus 19. He says, if you will obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you'll be my treasured people. Then you'll be a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. If you will obey my voice and keep my covenant. Now, God calls up Moses, and Moses had a bit of a stuttering problem and some insecurities himself, and so God brought Aaron along to help Moses kind of be a mouthpiece to speak to the people. And so God asked for Moses and Aaron to get to go up to the top of the mountain. Again, and so while they're up on the mountain, surrounded in a thick cloud with lightning and thunder. I kind of imagined last night. Anyone wake up last night? I mean, one, two, three, four, I don't know what a.m. it was, but there was a lot going on outside. Okay, and so there was a lot of power happening outside my house. I had nothing to do with it, okay? So the thunder, the lightning, it was real. So imagine that, and God's like, come on up here. And it's like, you know there's lightning, right? I mean, I'm thinking, this is intimidating. And most of the people are like, Moses, you're nuts, man. What are you doing? I'm, I'm, I'm imagining, they're like, don't do it, man. Don't do it, you know? But, but Moses knew something that they didn't know. So he goes up the mountain. He's with Aaron. And they go up to the mountain, and um, the people were so afraid of all the thunder and the glory of God coming down, the thunder and the clouds and the lightning. And in Exodus 20, 20, he tells Moses to go back down to him and say, Do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. Do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. Now, the people hear God say they're to be a treasured people, they're to be a holy nation in Exodus 19, and then Moses says, God's come to test you. So wait a second, what, which is it, right? God's giving a promise, but he's going to test the people. So what kind of test? It's to see if you will indeed fear God and not sin. That's the test. It's a pretty simple test. Now, fear God in a sense is more of a reverent, holy, awe-inspired fear of God, right? It's Will you fear my name and who I am and give me the respect that I deserve? All right, we can all go back to high school athletics, okay, for a minute. You know that athlete, and it may have been you, who was always giving the coach a hard time. You had to run sprints. You had to do extra stuff afterwards. You know, you know what I'm talking about, right? You've been redeemed since then. But if that was you, you were that guy on the team. Everybody else got frustrated at because what happened? When you messed up, sometimes the coach is like, we're all running. And it's like, bro, come on, man. And you're yelling, and then you start arguing, and then he makes you all run again, right? So, but that's, that's what we're talking about. It's the test of the team. It's the test of the people. Are you going to complain and grumble, and are you going to do what I ask, or are you not going to do what I ask, right? And God knew. He said, look, I'm making a covenant with you, but you got to keep my covenant and keep my commands. Now, fast forward to Exodus chapter 32. And God... Now he has given Moses the laws and instructions the people of Israel are to abide by, by including the way they are to worship God. That's what the previous chapters were about. And so in Exodus 32, 1, and he describes them how you're supposed to set up a tent in this tabernacle where God's presence can now dwell with the people and the glory of God can be there with them, right? Because that was the whole thing. God wanted to be with his people. So Exodus 32, 1 says, when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, up, make us gods who shall go before us. Let me pause. Moses is called to the mountain a lot, if you can't tell. He has like a VIP pass to the mountain, okay? He goes up, he comes down. He goes up, he comes down. And every time it's kind of a miracle the guy came down. Because there is thunder and lightning and the glory, and it's like the 
God is here, right? So he comes down, <clears throat> or no, so he, he's, he's up in the mountain, and the people are down at the base of the mountain. Now, he's been up there 40 days. That's a long time, right? Like one of your roommates goes away for 40 days, you're thinking they might be missing, right? <laughs> so Moses, they're thinking he might be missing, right? But, but honestly, why are they so concerned about the whereabouts of Moses? He has been gone for 40 days. I'm not sure if he's coming back. He is their leader, by the way. This is the guy who led them out of Egypt, so he's kind of a big deal to them. But the irony of all this is that the people had already experienced the invisible God who led them out of Egypt. Think about this. These are the same people who just months prior, right, years prior, they'd actually been led out of slavery by the hand of God, 10 plagues parting in the Red Sea, manna coming from heaven, water coming out of rock. I mean, these people were totally provided for by this invisible God, and all of a sudden, Moses, their, their natural, earthly, physical leader here, goes away up to the mountain. They start freaking out and say, Aaron, we need to make ourselves some other gods because we can't see this one. We can't see him. We want to see him. We want to touch, taste, feel. We want it now, right? That's what the people were demanding. But you know, maybe the people were so used to having a human ruler. I mean, Pharaoh was their leader for 430 years, right? Pharaoh after Pharaoh. They felt maybe God was absent when Moses was not around. And therefore, they really wanted a physical representation of God. Now, shouldn't that make us think just for a moment? <laughs> a lot of times, we actually don't want to go to God. We want to go to a friend. We don't really want to read what God has to say. We'd like to hear the therapist's perspective. We don't really want to read what God has already written. We would rather, we would rather listen to a podcast of someone else interpreting what God has written and never read it for ourselves. This is the day we live in. Do not judge the Israelites for melting all the gold down and turning it into a stupid little golden calf. We're doing the same thing. We're doing the same thing. We're saying, God, I can't see you. I might as well get my fill somewhere else. Netflix. Right? God, I can't see you. I might as well go to another conference every three months so that I can get my fill. God said, I don't need the conference. I don't need the Netflix. You don't need the podcast. Those are supplemental what is primary is you knowing me. But the people got impatient, didn't they? Anxious. Now, I know we don't ever get anxious or impatient in America. We're the most patient, slow-paced people on the planet, right? That's not us. But if it was us, I would argue that the reason why Aaron was convinced to do this because the people got impatient, they got anxious, and they decided they would make an idol of a little golden calf that they would rep, that would represent God so they could worship something. So they took their rings, they took their jewelry, and you know, it wasn't just the women. It actually says that all the women, the children, the men, they took off their rings, their earrings, and they brought the gold, and they gave it to Aaron. And you got to think, Aaron, come on, man. You were on the mountain with Moses getting the Ten Commandments, you know. Like, you were there. I mean, Aaron, too. See, Moses knew something Aaron didn't know. He knew something they didn't know. So they melted it down, and the people said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Now, <clears throat> not everyone in this room has given birth to a child, okay? But if you have, you can imagine your child one day coming back at you 
and saying some sort of snipey comment, right? And all you got to do is say, I carried you in my womb, you know. And it's like, okay, right? Because my wife does it all the time to our kids. <laughs> and you should too. Because you need to give respect where respect is due, right? Right? And so, but here the people of Israel are like, hey, we know you birthed us from slavery and the freedom and all. But, you know, that was then. This is now. We're ancients. We're, we're impatient. No one's responding right now. Man, God, you must not be here. I prayed. Where's the thing? It's five minutes ago I prayed. Where is it? Where I prayed for my husband. Where is he? I thought you said anything I ask, you'll give it to me. But nowhere in the Bible does it say he gives it to you on your terms and your time. Right? God doesn't care about your watch. He don't care. He could care less about your time. What did he say earlier to the Israelites? Why am I showing up in so much power and might? Because I'm here to test you. Will you really respect and revere my name and my commands? Will you really do that? Because if you do, you won't sin. But if you don't, you will sin. And here they go. They're jumping into it full-fledged. Remember, in 19.4, Exodus 19.4, he said, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. So here we are a few chapters later, and they're totally forgetting that. They're totally discrediting the fact that God brought them out. You see, the same group of people had just been set free for 430 years of slavery. The same people, they actually had said, We will do all that the Lord has commanded, all the Lord has spoken, we will do. They said that to Moses. These same people watched all these different miracles happen, yet because of their anxiety their impatience and their waywardness, they started worshiping a false god. You see, um, when we get anxious and impatient, we tend to take matters in our own hands, don't we? We do, because we think, well, I'll just take care of it. And so in this way, we're very much like the Israelites. But I would argue it's because we don't really know or trust the nature of God. That's what Moses knew. He actually knew and he trusted the nature of God. So the golden calf thing's happening down at the base of the mountain, right? Moses is up there in the glory cloud with God. And the Lord speaks to Moses after the golden calf is formed and tells him the people have corrupted themselves. They've turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them. Ooh. It's like, Moses, these people have turned aside quickly. I just, comm- I just said this. I just gave the Ten Commandments. I just gave, this is how you're going to be fruitful, be a holy nation, a people unto me. Man, I'm going to protect you, provide you, and take you to the promised land. I just said that, didn't I? And it's like in one ear, out the other, right? Because it says, they have turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them. I think we could all admit there's times we turn aside quickly because it's inconvenient, because it doesn't work in our timing, or maybe it's too difficult. You see, when things um, aren't working out <laughs> as we hoped, the timing's different than we predicted or the circumstances aren't what we expected, then we anxiously and impatiently turn away from the Lord. So how does God respond, right? It says, Moses, they've corrupted themselves. Well, Exodus 32, 9 through 10, the Lord says to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people, which, by the way, is borderline curse word. You don't want anybody calling you stiff-necked around town, all right? That's not going to be good for you. Now, therefore, let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them, 
and I may consume them in order that I may make a great nation of you. Whoa! He just went from you people, two million plus, and all your descendants are going to be my holy nation, my holy priesthood, because I'm expecting you to keep my covenant commands, and that's my desire. And then right here he says, actually, I will wipe them out and start over with you. Now, if you're Moses, you're feeling pretty good about your prospects, right? I mean, literally, though, this is borderline the flood 2.0. He's about to wipe out a nation and say, I've had it enough. Moses, you're the only guy in this entire group that's actually kept my commands and been faithful because he got it. He knew his nature. You see, remember that Moses told the people, God is testing you. So how is it that everybody else gave into anxiety and impatience, but Moses did not, right? What was, what was different? You know, if you read the Psalms, in Psalm 103, verse 7, it says this about Moses. It says, he made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. Now think about that just for a moment. Would you rather know these signs and wonders and the miracles of God? Or know the ways of God, his nature. I think it's pretty clear that the latter is not what you want. You want to know the ways. That's who Moses was. He was more concerned, more interested in who God was in relationship to what God could do for him. Are you more interested in what God can do for you? Is God a genie in the bottle? Look, I know Aladdin came out and all. That's nothing like God. God is not a genie in the bottle with three wishes. He's nothing like that. God's ultimate number one desire is for you to know him, to have relationship, not to do all the stuff. And honestly, how can you know where you're at? Is if God didn't hook you up with one other favorite thing the rest of your life, would you still follow him? If he didn't hook you up with that promotion or that right girl or that right guy, like what if you were single the rest of your days in your life? What if you, what if nothing you looked at, oh, these things don't go well for me? Would you still follow him? Or is your loyalty conditional upon the circumstances and outcomes of your life that you deem to be successful. Because I'm pretty sure Moses is hanging out in the desert too, you know, with all the Israelites, 100 plus degree heat, expecting bread to fall out of heaven and water to come or else they're going to die. It was pretty rough. But he knew something about God. He knew his full nature. He knew he was not just a God to be feared and respected, but he's a God of love and mercy. Ooh, he knew that, and aren't we thankful that he knew that, because here's the deal. Moses actually, when God wants to just literally wipe them out, Moses intercedes and asks God to spare the people. The people he had chosen are brought out of Egypt, and the Lord relented. I can't get into it right now. We don't have time, but there's an amazing request. He comes before God. God, I know they are stiff-necked. God, I know they've done wrong, but God, would you spare them? Give him another chance. Do you see his heart? This guy's got a heart of gold. God's saying, I will start over with you, man. He's like, no, no, no. These are my people. I will fight for them. Yes, they have messed up, but I love them. And God is testing Moses too. How would he respond when he was handed the silver platter? And Moses responded with, Lord, I don't want it. I want my people to be saved. You see, God is looking for men and women to know his nature, to stand in the gap 
for people that are oppressed, to stand the gap for those that have gone wayward, to stand the gap for those that are lost. But he's looking for men and women who have pure hearts to stand the gap for them. So that brings us to Exodus 33. Keep tracking. Here we go. Exodus 33. Remember when I said that we have the same issue that the Israelites had, right? That if you don't really know and trust the nature of God, you will turn away from obeying him and take matters into your own hands, right? So Exodus 33, 9 through 11, we see again Moses. When Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent, and the Lord would speak with Moses. And when all the people saw the pillar of clouds standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would rise up and worship each at his tent door. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. Whoa. Okay, now, what did Moses know that they didn't know? He knew the full nature of God. He was not just to be loved, to be respected and feared. He was to be loved. He was a God of mercy, a God of grace, a God of compassion. Moses knew that, which is why he could go and intercede and say, God, I know what you just said, but you know what? I'm going to contend for my people. And God turned what he was going to do based off the prayers of the righteous. Did you know God still does that today? All it takes is one. All it takes is one voice in this room contending, fighting, and asking, and interceding. I'm not telling you it's going to turn on a dime. I'm not saying it's going to happen the next day. But he's looking for men and women of righteousness. Because it says those who seek God, the righteous those, they will availeth much. They will produce much, those who seek God and intercede from a righteous place. But he says, I'm going to speak to him as a friend. Oh, man. How cool is that? <laughs> Friend of God. I mean, you don't just get that title overnight. Now, how do you know if someone's truly a friend, right? What separates someone from being a friend versus a stranger? Or someone you know versus someone you don't? Or someone you trust versus someone you're skeptical of, right? You got to get up close and you got to speak to them. God's inviting us again today in order to really know the radiance, awesomeness, gloriousness, goodness of God, <laughs> you got to get up close. You can't take a friend's word for it, guys. You can't take mom and dad's word for it. You can't take grandpa's word for it. You've got to know him. You've got to get in there. And when Moses would go to the tent, you know what happened? He would literally walk into this tent where the tabernacle was, and the God's presence would show up and come down in this cloud. And it says everybody would get outside their tent and watch at a distance. So you can choose to watch it unfold at a distance. Or you can be like Joshua. When Moses went in that tent, what did Joshua do? <laughs> this is Joshua. You actually read about him. He's hanging outside the tent. So then that's, oh, that's why Moses passed the mantle leadership off to Joshua. Why is that? He could have picked anyone else. Because Joshua was tuning in to the nature of God. See, God needs someone that actually knows him fully, not partially. So Moses in the tent, everybody else is like, wow, look what's going on over there. Just like the mountain. Wow, look what's going on up on the mountain. Guys, as long as you stay distant from God, you'll never know him. You'll never know him. You'll presume to know him. You'll make judgments about him. And let me just say that for the church also and just for people in general. <laughs> uh, your boss, you'll judge your boss to get to know him. You'll judge a professor to actually go up and introduce yourself and get to know him. So, like, judgment comes at a distance, but when you get close, ooh, there's something rich and real there, guys, we need to take. 
You see, when you get, um, sometimes we're afraid because we get close to authorities, you know, or people in leadership, we get close. We're like, oh, I don't really know, what, I don't really like what I see there, right? Can I just tell you it's not like that with God? The closer you get, the better he gets. The closer you get to God, the better he gets, guys. Moses, Moses went on that journey, right? The closer you get to God, the better he gets. Exodus 33, 15 through 16. And he said to him, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? So here we go, about to wrap it up. Moses, here's on this journey. He's interceding for the people. They've done wrong, but he knows the nature of God, and he knows he loves his people. He's going to fight for that. He's going to stand his ground. He's going to fight for that. And, 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 and the Lord is saying, hey, you know what? You guys, I, I'm not going to go with you. Moses, I love you, but I'm not going to go with you. Moses is like, no, no, no. You have to go with us. Because if you're not with us, we're just another group of people. There's nothing distinct. There's nothing salty. There's nothing that sets us apart without you. It's not our hairdo. It's not our piercings. It's not our clothing. It's not our language. It's not about any of that. It's about your presence being with us. Because without that, we are stuck in the mud. That's what he's trying to get at. He's contending and he's fighting. It's the presence of God is what he was longing for. So Exodus 33, 17 through 23, after Moses contends, this is what the Lord says. This very thing that you have spoken, I will do, for I have found, for you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Moses said, please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord, and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy whom I will show mercy. Mercy. Do you hear his prayer? Show me your glory. And how does God answer that prayer? He reveals his nature. I'll let my goodness come before you. My graciousness. Did you hear him say, my wrath is going before you? Oh. But you see, we always look at God as, oh, just wrathful, angry, disciplinarian. He's the principal no one likes. The coach is always barking out orders. That's God. And yeah, to the Israelites, that's exactly who he was. But to Moses, he's like, man, he's so much more. It's kind of like when you look at an intimidating guy, you're like, man, he's tough. He's like, yeah, but he's a teddy bear on the inside, right? (laughs) I mean, that is God. It's like he is powerful, and you better respect him. Absolutely. But he is so tender. He's the good, good, good father. I want to stand as we close. You see, when you know the nature of God, you can patiently wait for God to lead you. When you know the nature of God, you don't have to be anxious. You can be at rest. See, this is what he's inviting us into this morning, guys, to know his nature. You don't have to be anxious and impatient, which leads you to create a little golden calf, whatever it looks like in your life. But you can be at peace and be at rest with God. You see, Moses, he got it. He learned the nature of God by continuing to press into God. When God said, I'm going to destroy the people, he said, no, 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 I'm going to fight for them. When God said, come up to the mountain, he went to the mountain with the lightning and thunder. When God said, you're going to go into the desert. When God said, you're going to go before Pharaoh. You see, Moses proved his loyalty and commitment to God by being someone that would obey the commands of God, even though his own logic at times is like, this doesn't seem like a good idea. (laughs) 
But God's not interested in our ideas more than his. He likes your ideas as long as they're subject to his. And so Moses said, I've got a great plan for my life. I like being a shepherd. I married this sweet girl. I'm good. And after 40 years of being a shepherd like David for 40 years, God called him to lead the people out. So how is it that Moses is so different? Guys, he spent 40 years getting to know him as a shepherd and the sheep and no distractions. He got into his presence continually. We always read about David, right, as the classic shepherd. I think Moses was a shepherd longer than David. He got something there that when God said it's time to lead, he was ready. He wasn't distracted by the circumstances or by the horrific things or the frustrating things. He stayed the course. But you know, God doesn't leave us hanging. John 14, 8 through 9. Philip, one of the disciples of Jesus, actually said, Jesus, show us the Father. And, and, we'll, and we'll love him. Just show us. Where is he? What, 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 what's he look like? And Jesus said, Philip, have you been with me so long? Listen, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. Remember what it said about Jesus? He is the firstborn of all creation. He is the exact representation. He is the invisible God. Here he is, Jesus. You see, when you want to know what God is really like, You look at his son, Jesus. But some of us this morning, you don't know God. You're not sure. You're living anxious and impatient life, and your life's got sin in it, and you're not really sure what to do with it. And so just as we close today, I just want to give you an opportunity. Just kind of some of our leaders, come on up real quickly, if you could. Some of our life group leaders. Just a few of you guys, come on up. But if you're here this morning, and you're saying, you know what? (laughs) I want to be like a guy like Moses who knew the full nature of God, that knew he was full of love, grace, and mercy. Yes, he's to be feared, but that's so that we can know him fully. But I don't know how to get to him. I can't get to him. He's not calling me up the mountain. I would say he is. He's calling up the mountain through Jesus. Jesus is the way to know the Father. So if you want to know the good, good Father this morning, you've got to come through Jesus. Jesus died on the cross. He was crucified. He was the perfect lamb that was slain. His blood was actually shed so that People like us could have our sins forgiven because God said, you know, I can't be with you if you've got sin, but if you've been cleansed, I can hang out with you. I can be face to face. And and he said, I'm going to make a way through my son, Jesus. And if you know Jesus, you believe in him, what he's done for you. He says, I make a way for you so you can get into my presence and not be ashamed. Get in my presence, not be insecure. You can embrace me and you can know me. That's God's heart for you this morning. So as we just go into a time of worship, if you're here this morning and you're saying, I want to know Jesus. I need him in my life. Come up here and talk to one of these guys. But if you're also here and you're just saying, man, I just need someone to pray for you this morning about anything. It's fair game. Come on. Because our heart is that you would know God fully. You would know him fully. So if you don't know the love of God, maybe that's you this morning. If you don't know the fear of the Lord, maybe that's something for you this morning. I don't know, but the desire is that you would be drawn to him this morning. You would not pull away or see God at a distance, but you would draw near Amen. Let me pray for us. Jesus, thank you. We love you. So grateful. And just ask you to just come and meet with us this morning. Just as your presence would fill the tent, Lord, we pray would you fill it in this room here, Lord, that you would be near. You would draw us into that presence, into that loving relationship. 
that is full of awe and wonder and joy and life. We thank you, Jesus. Pray, amen. If you need anything, just come on up. Let this team pray for you.